0: Welcome to Man Talk, everything you wanted to know about men's health, but were afraid to ask. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Man Talk, the show that attempts to answer your personal questions with qualified professionals on a variety of subjects that concern most of our listeners. My name is Stuart, the voice of reason, along with my brilliant co-host, Michael, the voice of choice. We will inform, educate, make you laugh, and give you insight into the sometimes complicated world of men's health. You're not alone out there in what you're experiencing or feeling. There's a band of brothers out there going through the same stuff. So listen up, guys and gals, and get ready to learn, live, and enjoy your life. And above all, try to flush those cares away. Welcome to MantalkRadio.net. And our guest today, Dr. Benjamin Carter. Dr. Carter has been practicing dermatology in St. George, Utah, since 2010. Dr. Carter, please tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into dermatology, and what your
1: specialties are. Sure, Stuart. I uh, I was born in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. I moved here to St. George when I was five years old and grew up here. I'm a local boy, at least as local as most of us can be. and. Uh, I went to uh, Pineview High School and Dixie College back when it, before it became a, a state university. And then I went up to the University of Utah for two years. I was a uh, Spanish major and a psychology minor. and I went to the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for four years of medical school, and then subsequently matched into a dermatology residency program at the same institution and stayed at the Medical College of Wisconsin for four additional years. Uh, to learn um, about the skin so are you does that make you a Packers fan yeah I am a bit of a cheese head but I'm not uh, I'm uh,
2: not obsessive well we might have a problem here I am from Chicago he's a Bears
1: fan the Bears. The Bears. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, did you see the little Favre uh the Bears yes. guys Yeah, that was the highlight of the game for the <laughs> Chicago fans last night uh, it was it looked like it was pretty entertaining it was a tough opener but yeah that was pretty good <laughs>
2: So, Dr. Carter, can you tell us what's the number one reason that your patients uh, visit your practice for? I mean, I'm I'm guessing it would be worries uh, since we're out in the southwest and the desert and so on, uh, that it would be uh, concerns about skin cancer, but what's your main focus in your practice?
1: You know, I'm a general uh, dermatologist. I do both uh, medical and surgical dermatology, and uh, I would say the top three complaints um, in my practice are, um, what is this spot? Uh, and um, and then that would probably be followed by um, uh, precancers that I treat. Uh, that's probably the second most common um, complaint that comes in. And then uh, I see acne and warts, um, and so I take care of uh, people from uh, you know less than a year up to 110. Um, but I would say, by and large, at this point in time, the majority um, of my patients. Are older and are experiencing um, skin cancer. I know the feeling personally. So, in
2: skin cancer, uh, every time any of us or our friends see something on our arms, our head, or body, Bad. everybody thinks immediately of skin cancer, and there's panic, and you got to go see Doctor Carter or Doctor X Y Z,
0: Doctor No, sure.
1: Doctor Skin, Doctor Strange Love, Doctor Strange Love. Or Dr. Strange. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, that's a, a common, a common occurrence for sure to have uh, a new spot, um, and, and wonder what does it mean? And, and I'm frequently asked, uh, how do you know when someone walks in, what it, is this something to be worried about? Um, they'll say, "How, how did you pick this spot out when I came in for these three other spots? Uh, and so as, you, as, you, as I talk to patients and try to kind of help them understand um, what it is that I'm looking for um, so that they, when they um, are at home or out with uh, friends or loved ones, can kind of do the same, um, I kind of try to break it down into the, the simplest terms, which is a little bit Sesame Street-esque, and that is um, which one of these is not like the others. Uh, and so you're really looking for the spot um, that doesn't match any of the other spots that you have. Um, and that can be because the spot is new, um, that can be because the spot is changing um, quickly. In skin terms, a quick change is probably anything that changes um, uh, over the course of a year. Um, most, uh, most of our skin spots don't evolve very quickly, and the benign ones you know, frequently have been there for many years. Um, Whereas the ones that are worrisome, they're undergoing changes um, over a three to six or sometimes 12 month period of time. Those changes include change in color, um, change in shape, uh, change in size. Um, Other things that um, worrisome spots do, they bleed, um, they itch uh, chronically, not sporadically. Um, It's not a, hey, my moles itched for a couple of days and then stopped. It's more like this mole's been itching for um, you know, a couple of months and doesn't seem to stop itching. Um, uh, we talked about bleeding, itching, um, pain, of course, uh, is, is one of the things that can um, be a presentation for skin cancer. Uh, not the most common feature that we'll see, but a lot of times patients will come in and say, This spot's been just a little tender or felt a little bit raw or it burns. Um, and it's not the acute pain that you feel from a splinter or, uh, from an infected hair follicle, uh, pimple. It's, it's, um, a different type of pain that just kind of lingers over time.
2: And, and the, uh, th- there's a range of skin cancers, right? I mean, that, uh, melanoma and there's others. Can you talk about that from a range, maybe a spectrum of the sure, le- the, sure. least, the least dangerous to how dangerous can skin cancer be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So... There, there are hundreds, um, if not thousands, of different types of skin tumors. Um, in medicine, we use the term the term tumor a little more liberally than I think the the lay public does. So when people hear tumor, they automatically assume cancer, but tumors are just growths that occur in the body, and some are benign tumors, and some are cancer tumors. Uh, but when you talk about um, tumors of the skin, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of different types of, um, of tumors of the skin, the majority of them being benign. Uh, but when we talk in terms of common skin cancers, uh, we're talking about um, three principal types. You have the, the least, um, perhaps I should say aggressive in terms of um, uh, morbidity or mortality, uh, basal cell carcinoma um, is the least likely to kill you um, and is the most common skin cancer. And basal cell carcinoma loves uh, the head and neck uh, area. Um, the second most common type of uh, skin cancer is uh, squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, squamous cell carcinoma is a little bit of the middle man, so it comes between basal cell carcinoma and uh, melanoma, which is the third most common type of skin cancer. And squamous cell carcinoma can um, sometimes be like basal cell carcinoma in the sense that uh, you treat it, and it goes away, and you don't worry about it. Um, And yet, squamous cell carcinoma can sometimes um, be as aggressive as melanoma.
2: What would be a typical treatment for, say, for squamous cell carcinoma?
1: Um, for almost all skin cancers at this point in time, the initial treatment of choice is surgery, is, uh, is uh, removal of the tumor. Um, in particular, uh, for basal cell and squamous cell, that's um, curative uh, you know, in excess of 95% of the time. So you're caught and removed? Yep, exactly. Um, and uh, that can be done in a variety of different ways. Um, as far as cutting goes and what does that mean, um, with uh, basal cells in particular that are on the uh, trunk or the extremities, you can do um, an, an older um, but still, I think, um, appropriate treatment for many of the smaller basal cell uh, carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas is uh, a procedure known as um, electrodesiccation and curatage. And um, for all intents and purposes, that is uh, scrape, burn, scrape, burn, and then usually you repeat that a third time uh, to the tumor. Over a period of time. You actually do that in a single visit. So oh. they come in, you you anesthetize the area, with usually with a little bit like, of lidocaine. Sounds like a lot of fun, Stuart. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, we don't get to share in that bun. Uh,
1: I, I actually
2: have a little bit. You've been. A, I haven't remember them rinsing and repeating. Though. You've, you've, I only remember like one scrape. One scrape. I might have been too wimpy.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and that could have been a, what we call a saucerization, and that's that's where you just in in a single scrape ty- try to kind of excise. Um, the basal cell carcinoma or the squamous cell carcinoma. For wimpy patients who can't handle the second part, y- the third part. You know, most patients do pretty well, uh, Michael. So you know, I'm I, a bad patient. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, if you're anesthetized, what's the difference? You don't feel it.
1: You know, a guy's <laughs> above you with a knife.
0: But he's a kind man. A, he's trying to help you. It's a he's, relatively he's, small knife. He's
1: also billing you whatever he wants. <laughs> well, I wish I could say that I'm billing you whatever, whatever I want. Uh, at this point in time, insurance is, yeah. is kind of the one who, who directs that, uh, that show. But, yeah, is the it? scrape and burn is a very common treatment. Excision um, is uh, the traditional way of cutting and then sewing. So the scrape and burn leaves the wound open and it heals in on its own. Most excisions are closed with suture. And uh, those are probably the most commonly employed methods uh, for um, skin cancer removal. And then I think Mohs surgery, which maybe maybe we'll talk about as well as we go on. But but Mohs surgery has um, been a more emergent uh, technique over the last uh, few decades, um, and that that uh, provides a little more control and excellent cure rates um, in specific areas of the body for. Um, non melanoma skin cancers and some select uh, melanomas,
0: and isn't that one of your specialties, Doctor Carter? Mohs surgery. So,
1: so I do. I do Mohs surgery. You're correct. It's Mohs uh, surgery, and that that's uh, that's uh, named after Fred Moes. Um, and so, as part of my residency training, uh, I, I spent time with a Mohs surgeon um, and uh, became proficient in Mohs surgery. And so, I do. I do that technique in my clinic. Yes.
2: So, uh, I understand that that technique and has been around since like the 1930s
1: it's it's evolved so um, why would it why has
2: it gotten more popular in recent decades
1: yeah so it's if you go if you look back at um the original the original uh procedure um there was a gentleman named fred mose and he actually was uh um out of the um university of wisconsin so he was a badger uh back there he played wisconsin. for the
2: milwaukee braves i think. It Was a uh, second baseman, no oh, third, 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 oh, third baseman.
1: <laughs> so he uh, he developed a technique using um, zinc chloride, and basically he would he would apply that to the tumor um, and the surrounding skin. And the more metabolically tissue, more more metabolically active tissue, uh, which was the tumor cells that are dividing more quickly, would take up the zinc chloride, uh, and then they would become kind of this hard, blackened. Um, we call it eschar, uh, and it's it's kind of just this this indurated, crusty tissue. And then he would scrape that out. Uh, and Fred Mose kind of pioneered that technique, and he would just scrape it out and then let people heal. Um, and, uh, that was the original kind of Mose procedure. He was not a dermatologist. I, I think he might've actually, I'm not even sure if he was a surgeon. I think it may be so a baseball player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Car mechanic. I, I think he may have been a pathologist, uh, if I re- recall right. Uh, but I might have to review my history, but that evolved over time. So, uh, have you heard of frozen sections? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so traditionally, a surgeon will take you in um, and uh, may he may open you up and remove a section of your bowel, and uh, and then he sends that off to the pathologist while you sit there, you know, on the table. You've of course been been intubated and put under general anesthesia, and then the pathologist will take the specimen and they'll process it, slice it, dice it, uh, stain it, and then they will look at it under the microscope and say, hey, there's still tumor in this. Uh, location at this end. So while he's still
0: there, they can go. While back you're in. on the
1: table, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't seem very practical for uh, skin cancer surgery. And so as a result, um, they developed kind of this technique. And in part of my residency, probably a third of my time was spent looking at skin slides, so pieces of tissue under the microscope. And so in dermatology, we have. Uh, versus um, a lot of the other more surgical specialties. Um, we're not traditionally a surgical specialty. We actually came out of internal medicine, but as, but as skin cancer rates has, have risen, we have become a much more surgical specialty in the sense of cutaneous surgery. And what happened was we started doing frozen sections and acting as the surgeon and the pathologist. Mm-hmm. And by definition according to uh, medicare um, that kind of dictates the coding in this country of medical procedures by definition in order to um, be charging a patient and be being reimbursed for uh, Mohs surgery the same individual has to be the surgeon and the pathologist pathologist. now that is not the case in other countries Uh, they can have a pathologist who who comes and sits down and they can still do, quote-unquote, Mohs surgery with a surgeon and a pathologist kind of working together. But in, in our country, according to the way the, the billing um, codes have been written, the same person is the surgeon and the pathologist. Mm. And the reason that that matters is that there is some additional reimbursement that occurs when you eliminate a whole physician from the procedure and consolidate it into a single physician procedure so you, you get to double dip? Well, you don't quite double dip because obviously they're- One not, and a half dip? Yeah, they might let you <laughs> one and a half dip, perhaps. Maybe that's what they call it. But, but they reimburse you at a rate um, a, you know, that they felt is fair for someone but who is doing than. the surgical work and the pathology work. Um, but the total cost is probably less than what it would be if you a were tube. sending it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And of course, they work into that, what the back kind of ground stuff is that's happening, which is you've got a tech- um, you've got uh, equipment, you've bought a special what's called a cryostat um, that you use to, to freeze the tissue. Um, you've got to prepare the tissue um, and then you do the pathology role of reviewing the tissue. Um, the specimens, we call them wafers once they come out.
0: So uh, how long does that generally take? In other words, from the time you cut, remove the tissue, then look under your microscope while the patient's still sitting there to determine what to do next. I mean, how long does that generally take?
1: Some some of that probably depends on um, you know how experienced the the tech is, uh, really, because the that's probably the more um, time-consuming part. Once you've removed the tissue, that's the part where you've got to you've got to get the tissue prepared, and then your tech takes the tissue, uh, and your tech is going to um, freeze that and start making wafers, little thin cuts through the tissue, uh, and, um, and then laying them on slides and then staining them. But I, I, I would suspect in uh, most practices um, that wait time um, is anywhere from uh, 20 minutes um, to uh, 45 minutes. Um, For each one. not Well, between when you take a layer and then you come back into the, the patient and say, hey, it looks like everything's clear, we're going to sew you up, or, hey, it looks like there's more. a little bit more, we're gonna take a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And of course that varies um, from, from clinic to clinic and some in some places I'm sure you're gonna have an hour between those layers depending on if the surgeon is also doing other procedures or seeing other most patients that day, there's probably a little bit of flexibility in his schedule to allow him the time that he needs to attend to those patients um, in between each of those layers. So you must have a lot of a lot of rooms in your
2: facility where you can have people staging.
1: Well, I you know I typically um, I typically because I I don't do most surgery as the only thing that I do, uh, and so as a result I'm not usually stacking patients um, like some of my colleagues may be doing where they're doing eight or ten cases a day. Um, I typically, in St. George, as a, as, as a general medical surgical dermatologist who does uh, Mohs surgery on, on uh, my patients, I do um, anywhere from uh, four to six cases a week, um, and I spread those out over the different days. Uh, and that varies in a busy um, Mohs surgery practice uh, in you know, a bigger city. You may, you may have somebody who's doing uh, anywhere from six to ten cases a day. <clears throat> So
2: we've, we've talked about uh, basal cell and squamous cell carcinomas, but we haven't really talked about melanoma. We've got about six minutes left. We have some questions uh, that have been emailed in. Can you tell us, let's talk about melanoma because that's the one that scares people. And sure. Talk a little bit about that and about how dangerous it is.
1: Yeah. Well, before we jump into melanoma, let's, let's step back just a second and talk about Mohs surgery and, and what that means for these different types of tumors. Okay, so Mohs surgery um, traditionally has been used for basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma of specific sizes, on, you know, in specific places on the body. So on the face, uh, they have a minimum um, uh, size requirements. Um, and then type of tumor requirements um, that they like you to meet for both basal cell and squamous cell carcinoma in order to perform most surgery because they don't want you to perform most surgery on every little teeny basal cell carcinoma that's two or three millimeters in size that you might find. Um, That would be uh, an, an excessive use of the procedure when you could certainly do a little scrape and burn or a traditional excision for that. Uh, And so when you talk about Mohs surgery in general, you're talking about basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas principally on the face, um, in particular on really delicate areas, um, the nose, the ears, the eyelids, the lips. And that those indications have expanded to, to be most of, I think, the head and neck at this point in time, where it's, it's pretty uh, easy, I think, to justify doing most surgery. On the trunk and extremities, um, I would say for most patients, traditional excision is still a very, uh, is a very reasonable option, and probably the more common option for most practicing dermatologists, unless the tumor is recurrent, meaning that it's come back after it was already removed. Um, or it's excessively large. Greater than two centimeters is typically the recommendation. And that's a pretty big tumor. That's about an inch um, in size uh, uh, as far as the size of a tumor goes. Now, if we transition to melanoma, you can use Mohs surgery for melanoma in situ. And in situ uh, simply means that the melanoma is still in the very top layer of, uh, of the skin. So it's in the epidermis. Um, and it, and that's, we're talking fractions of millimeters here. Uh, it has not gotten down into the second layer of the skin, which is the dermis, and so there are um, some uh, Mohs surgeons who are doing um, melanoma in situ um, as part of their Mohs practice, uh, and they're and and they're having great success doing it. Um, and and uh, but when you talk about invasive melanomas, you're talking about traditional wide local excisions, um, and that means you're taking one centimeter margins around the outside rim of what is visible tumor. So if you have a big black mole and you biopsy it and you come back and you can see the scar, you're gonna take a centimeter margin around the scar circumferentially. And so in essence, you add Two centimeters.
2: But you already know you've already
1: biopsied and
2: you know right. this, this, this is melanoma. That's right. So at this point in time, it's
1: another. This is a second. This visit. is this is the the hopefully curative phase of of the process. Uh, and when you're talking about melanomas, you're really talking um, about the ones that you remove surgically uh, and and feel really good about. You're talking about melanomas that are less than a millimeter, less than 0.8 millimeters in depth. Uh, and so we're talking just a small amount of invasion into the skin. Once you uh, exceed a millimeter in depth um, on your initial biopsy specimen, uh, it, it becomes a little, um, a little more difficult to prognosticate as to how well the patient will do. And um, your life expectancy, your, your five-year survivability goes down if you have a melanoma that's deeper than a millimeter in depth. That's not, that's not very deep. And that's why there's this emphasis on skin cancer screenings and the ABCDEs of moles, you know, asymmetry. What does the border look like? What's the color? What's the size, the diameter? And then is it evolving? That big push from the American Academy of Dermatology to try and help people understand that you're looking for the really ugly mole. Some people call it the big bad wolf. I referred to it as kind of the ugly duckling, which one of these is not like the others. But you're looking for that mole that just... Doesn't look right because the sooner you find it um, and cut it out, the more likely you are to be around. So that was a question. I had was how does how? we're going to run out. We're going to have to have you
2: back next week and continue this on melanoma. But how fast does melanoma grow?
1: Uh, it the the they they call that um, the 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 rate of cell division that that depends on the individual tumor, but I can tell you that in patients who have um, Uh, a biopsy, and then have the melanoma removed within um, 30 days versus those who have it removed after 30 days, their five-year survival is, is I think, almost 50% better. Really? What
2: kind of numbers are we talking about for mortality?
1: Ooh, I had those those, uh, that I was looking at earlier today. But when we're talking about uh, melanoma deaths in the United States, I think they said this year they expect to have uh 7200 deaths from melanoma
2: and how does that compare to other cancers
1: um, obviously
2: breast and other yeah cancers I, you know
1: are i i i would have to look at that data i haven't looked at that recently could be top um, 10. when you talk about when you talk about um, skin cancer in global terms um, skin cancers outpace all other cancers in the united states as far as numbers that are diagnosed each year does that have anything to do with climate Um, It it can certainly have something to do with climate. I I think it has to do with our lifestyles. Um, Certainly, like you said, in the southwest uh, where there's a lot of sunshine and a lot of people spend a lot of time outdoors, you're more likely to have uh, skin cancer develop. Um, But a lot of it comes down to uh, just early on in life, did you have uh, even just one bad blistering burn?
2: Well, Dr. Carter, this has been very interesting so much. We're going to have you uh, back in one week. And we're going to continue the topic of melanoma uh, because I think it's really important. And we have uh, questions
1: coming in. So, Dr.
0: That- Carter, I have one question. Can you tell us where your office is and where you uh, work out of?
1: Absolutely. So uh, the name of my office is uh, Riverside Medical Arts. And we are um, over on um, uh, Riverside Drive, 1068 uh, East Riverside Drive. We are between... Um, The uh, free clinic, actually, um, which is its own standalone building, uh, and the post office, Mm -hmm. kind of right over there on the, I think it's the south side um, of Riverside.
0: So do you have a phone number if people want to get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Uh, 435-628-6466 is our clinic number. And uh, my receptionist, Holly and Courtney, would be happy to visit with you.
0: Okay, great.
2: All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Carter. We'll be back with you next week. Stuart, uh, what do we have to say?
0: Just be happy. And
2: be healthy. Thank you. Tune in next week.
1: The information presented in this program is provided for general information purposes only and is not, nor is it intended to be, nor is it a substitute for professional medical advice and treatment. This program is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or injury. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. You should always consult a doctor or other health care provider for individual professional medical advice regarding your own health situation.
2: This program is a production of Mantalk Radio, LLC. Copyright Man Talk Radio, LLC. 2019. All rights reserved. We're Michael and Stuart with Mantalk on Radio St. George 100.3 FM. Submit your questions ahead of time to questions at mantalkradio.net. Relisten or watch again. Search Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher for Radio St. George or radiostgeorge.com. We'll see you next week for another edition of Man Talk.